Welcome to episode eight of our study on the Holy Spirit. I'm joined with Emily Trotter, and Emily and I have been walking through this very convicting and revealing and uh, vulnerable subject about the Holy Spirit. Mm. Um, it has been a journey that, uh, as as she and I were talking earlier this week, that I'd like to take some time later on to share with you what's different about me today. Where have I been challenged in what I thought and what I experienced and uh, and thought about Christianity today that's different or has been more clearly defined through this study? Uh, Emily, you're nodding your head because I think you agree with that. Maybe some of that has been happening inside of you. Oh, absolutely. Um, even things that you think you knew. <laughs> Look, husbands have this great uncanny ability to think they know something. I'm just telling you. That's I so. That's that. a familiar feel, feeling for you, but it is new for me. <laughs> Touche. Touche. I'm on that. Um, and, and and so uh, we're we're going to be walking through the majority of the remaining uh, time that we have together uh, in in the book of Acts uh, because that is a a book that had centered around the the work of the Holy Spirit in the people of uh, the early church specifically you could say in Peter Philip and Paul or you could divide that book centered around the different locations of Jerusalem. Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. But the corpus of the message is not about Philip or Peter or Lydia or Priscilla and Aquila or Paul. It wasn't about their feats and their successes. And Luke's very intentional about this. It is about the gospel and its proclamation of good news that forgiveness for people has already been determined in heaven. I'll stop there right there for just a second, because that is the good news. Amen. That is the message of what God has been shouting from the mountaintop, from the Old Testament, breaking through history into people's lives, and especially through the revelation and incarnation of his son, his life, his ministry, his death, his resurrection, the birth of the church, and we are still reverberating in the echo of what God has been doing all along, that forgiveness has already been determined and declared in heaven. We are redeemed. And so the uh, that, that becomes the corporate message or the solitary message of Acts. It's the work of the power of the Holy Spirit that begins in Acts 1.8, where that Jesus says, you will, when you receive the Holy, Holy Spirit, you will receive power, you will be my witness, and it ends. And you can jump all the way to Acts 28, and at the very end, Luke does not even tell us how Paul's life ends. It just ends that the proclamation of the gospel goes on, keeps on going with boldness and without hindrance. So the message of Acts is not about the individual people. It's about the work of the Holy Spirit, where we get our text for this study. And so this Holy Spirit comes in the day of Pentecost in Acts 2, and we talked a little bit about this last week, 
how the availability for the people to soak this up like a sponge. Wind came in like a mighty rushing wind, came in and filled the house. And the Greek word there is centered around that idea of a fragrance that fills a room. There's nowhere that that fragrance, you can hide from that fragrance. But the next filled or the filling was they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, this one is the same Greek word that is, um, is that means to cause to be filled. And so the, the Holy Spirit filling every nook and cranny of that house gave an opportunity uh, for the people who were gathered there to be filled. And that word is, uh, of, is the same word in Matthew and Mark where uh, the centurion offers Jesus uh, some sour wine on a sponge, the soaking up of that wine into that sponge. You cannot find yourself putting a sponge into a bucket of water, pulling it out, and not have drips that come alongside of it. This is the image. And he uses two specific uh, metaphors or manifestations of, of what happened and how the Holy Spirit made uh, its presence. And I don't want us to get so caught up on these individual man, uh, manifestations, but it is suffice to say that there are some very important things by using these wind and fire because he didn't use chocolate pudding and <laughs> strawberry Pop-Tarts. I mean, w- there is a significance to this. Although why. that might have helped people get on board. <laughs> <laughs> Who knows? Who knows? Um, and so, Emily, what, what is the significance of, of fire being used? Well, I don't know why I thought when you read that in Acts that these tongues of fire came and rested on each of them, that I don't know why I thought, well, this is a novel idea. <laughs> That's something new. <laughs> because when you look back from the Old Testament, even fire was God used it a lot. God uses that fire as a symbol for himself a lot. Um, And one of the first things that I thought of, you know, was in Abraham, um, when they were, when God first established his covenant with him, that he said, you're going to be a father of many nations. You are going to bear a son. Uh, You know, Sarah's going to have, going to bear you a son, and he will be the father of of a multitude, like sands on the on the shore or stars in the sky, um, and he appears as after Abraham has set up this sacrifice and the the way that you do a co- you did a covenant back in those days. Thank goodness we don't do this now because what a mess. Um, after he had set up these two two sides, a burning pot passed between them, and that signifies that God's passing and entering into that covenant with Abraham. And then we see another one is in Ezekiel when he's up there and he's when he's having to go against all these other gods and their prophets. And he says, all right, here's what we'll do. I'm going to put, we're going to put two sacrifices down. We'll see which God takes their sacrifice. And he gave those other gods and those other prophets a long time. And then the Lord came down and consumed everything. He consumed everything. You remember Mount Carmel, don't you? Yes, yes. Can you see that Yes, I can see it. I know where that happened. Um, You know, and also, and and I just totally skipped the Exodus and, and Moses, because 
God appeared not only when not only did he appear on the top of Mount Sinai as the top of the mountain just being engulfed with flames signified his presence, but that's how he led them. He led Israelite either the Israelites either in a column of smoke or a column of fire. That was his presence. That was something that they could feel, that they could see, that they could follow. Um, so there's just so many instances of this fire as God being, you know, using that image to tell people about him. And I read this, I looked up this word. Look, I'm being John. I looked up this word and I'll probably say it wrong, but it's poor. And if you really want to know, it's 4442 in Strong's Concordance. But it says this, and this is such, this is why these ancient languages are so phenomenal when you dig deeper, because you get a clearer understanding of what exactly was meant. Um, so we get fire. It's hot. <laughs> it's red. <laughs> you know, destroys things. Here's what here's what it means. God's spirit, like a holy fire, enlightens and purifies so that believers can share more and more in his likeness. Indeed, the fire of God brings the uninterrupted privilege of being transformed, which happens by experiencing faith from him. Our lives can become true offerings to him as we obey this imparted faith from God by his power. So this is illustrated by God's fire burning continuously at the entrance of the tabernacle where the priests made their offerings. And we, you can read about that in Leviticus. But So there's that fire. And then we just talked about Ezekiel and the sacrifices being consumed by fire. And when you look at this Holy Spirit, that it landed and rested on their heads. And just think about being consumed by that power and by that symbol of God and who he is, wow, it's all consuming. You know, certainly there is this Old Testament image of the presence of God. You mentioned Moses or uh, Elijah or um, uh, the when at the end of Exodus, when the tabernacle was finished, the, the presence of God... Uh, rested upon that with that image of, of fire. And um, there's, there's, it, it just gives you that one of the things that acts too is especially because it's Pentecost and the giving of the law was Pentecost right. back in Moses. There's the direct connection, yeah. but, but here's, which the, I mean, cool. I mean, yeah. <laughs> that's where God just, you know, Pentecost is not a first century invention no, or declaration. This was not the first Pentecost, which I didn't know. <laughs> Talk about things you're learning. I did not know that Pentecost existed and was a thing before the Pentecost we all know about. Yeah, the giving of the law in the Old Testament. And so, but the the that the choice, the choosing of coming and resting as fire, showing up, manifesting itself as fire gives the gives the image especially to first century uh, Jewish Christians gives this image of God's presence. Yeah. But fire sometimes is not welcomed, right? I mean, you can, right. you think of fire as a tool, fire as a weapon. Ask California. And you can get burned. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Our prayers go out for that situation of being consumed with those forest fires. 
and um, and you you think of of sometimes we, it is a tool when it can it, it it really is perceived as a weapon, as a weapon. You you think of refiner's fire. Yeah. You, you, it is the the burning off of the impurities, the burning off of the impurities that are inside wow. that actually gets yeah. to the pure. I mean, how, what do they do with gold? They put gold and they put it in a crucible and they heat it up and they burn off everything that is impure. Right. Gosh, what a great picture again. Now, look, uh, we're just, being refined. Uh, just time out a second. Just <laughs> friends, if you are hearing this and this is something that is new to you and something that is like peaking your spirit a little bit of, of with interest, just know that what God does through his Holy Spirit we're not talking about something that happened 2,000 years ago, and it's now just being read in the history books of the book, or specifically the book we call Acts, and we can say, gee, wasn't that nice for them? Wouldn't that be cool to be there? We are living in a world today in the presence of, of, uh, of a God who still does these things today. Yeah. Reveals Amen. himself. Mm-hmm. And it may not be through the ways that we think or we would expect, but don't close your heart to the availability of that spirit refining you, purifying you, in, um, in uh, making uh, you a different person inside um, for his kingdom. That's right. That's right. Because it's not, I mean, fire, looking at God as this all-consuming fire is not all roses and straight, easy-to-follow paths and and things are all good and all laid out. That's, that's not what it is. Yes, we get this picture of, gosh, God being a consuming fire, and that's amazing, and it just fills you up so that you can be bubbling over and, and just dripping with His goodness and His love and His works and His words and walking boldly in your faith. Those are great things to think about, being consumed by God's fire. But also that consuming fire is a warning can be a warning as well for the refining that you might have to go through. And for, I mean, he says that you either have eternal life and believe and have faith in him, that you recognize that Jesus Christ is his son and that he came and died for you, or you don't. And if you don't, the eternal fire is the consequence. So God uses this this vision of because we see that what was it Lazarus and and the um, rich king who he says he has this vision and he says he's begging can I please just could he just dip his hand in some cool water to cool my tongue as it as this fire is I'm in agony and it's never ending and he says sorry no he can't do that. So we, and we like to focus on the good, the good fire and the all-consuming fire. We like to look at the grace and the love and the forgiveness of God without ever looking at the consequence of ignoring all those things are. 
in the Chronicles of Narnia, one of the things that uh, C.S. Lewis does in description of Aslan, the lion, who is the uh, depiction of Christ, um, the children are asking uh, if, if Aslan is safe. And the response is no. I mean, it's not safe. I mean, mm-hmm. the, the, this the picture of of this fire of this 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 uh, consuming um, this purifying this refining fire. It is it is it will turn your world upside down. Yeah, it will cleanse fr- uh, the. Uh, the sin and the, it will cleanse the uh, you internally to make you a different person for His kingdom, and um, and we find ourselves wanting to ignore it. it. Is it's not, you know, all skies are going to be blue and the birds are going to be singing. It is God working in us today through His Spirit. Amen. And I mean, just look at the climate we're in now. I mean, the hatred, the bitterness, the division, um, the slander, everything, the awful words that people are using to each other um, is not fun no, (laughs) or nice (laughs) or kind in the blue skies. But it's this, what is it? The winnowing. Yes. It's the winnowing. and, 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 And we have to remember that Regardless, God's still on the throne. Whatever happens, good, bad, God's still on his throne. He's still sovereign. He's still sovereign. And, you know, in Daniel, Daniel talks about when he's interpreting the dream for Nebuchadnezzar, he says, God restores kingdoms and he knocks them down. He's going to put the king on the throne. That's what you need to know from this, from this dream that you've had. And that's the same. Talk about being this true today. That's still true today. God didn't give up that as we moved into modern times. God didn't say, oh, I think they got it under control. I'll take a step back. Clearly, we don't. And and uh, thank goodness he didn't. <laughs> have Have you, and I might be putting you on the spot so we uh, you can say pass, but have you experienced the refining work of the Holy Spirit? Yeah. With all these trials that you go through, with all the times that I have thought, oh, God, why is it like this? Why is it? And I mean, it's nothing major, nothing, you know, catastrophic. I mean, my son did have a brain tumor. <laughs> and, and some people go, oh, that doesn't, you know. But yes, in my heart, I know that that was a purifying that our family had to go through that I don't know why in the world that had to be something for Bo. I have no idea why as a two-year-old he had to, not that he was, I mean, he was, whew, he was a handful, but he didn't deserve that as a punishment. I'm not saying that, but he had to, God knew something about his life that Bo was going to need that thorn in his side like Paul had. Hmm. And God knew that Jim and I needed to be corralled and brought closer to him. And I think that families, I think you can choose. I think being in hospitals, look, my, my grandfather was sick my whole life. 
I have been in and out of hospitals forever. I have vivid memories of sitting by myself in the waiting room of St. Thomas Hospital in Nashville, Tennessee. It was a different time then. I could just be left outside the gift shop and not be worried about. But it is a different feeling when you walk down a hospital corridor and see families of faith and families of not faith. It is a different feeling that that surrounds them. Um, because in the room next door to my papa, there was a, a tragic event that this young man, I, he was in his early 20s, he passed away. And it was, ugh. Like even papa's nurses came and said, we're going to just close your door because it's yucky out here. Like it felt bad that when he passed away, like it was heavy and dark. Um, it wasn't like uplifting walking into Papa's room. You've got gospel music playing <laughs> and people praying and laying hands and all this kind of stuff. It, it was a different feeling. And I think that those trials, that was a refining because, God, it's hard. It's so hard. Some things we go through are so incredibly hard, but they all have a purpose. Whether we like them, whether we ever acknowledge it, it it shows who we are. And people will say, you know, that's not fair. Why does God need that? Well, because He does. He's God. Yeah. He needs to know where we stand. He needs for us to know where we stand. He needs for us to know where our hope and where our faith lie and who's going to get us out of these messes when we need to get out. Um, Who can we be comforted by and what can we rely on? Um, So, yeah, I mean, I can look back and think of a lot of things that I have a lot of times where I was, I mean, a lot of it is, you know, silly teenage girl stuff or silly immature (laughs) 20-something stuff or, you know, (laughs) just upset Emily things, but, but I mean, just things that you didn't, just don't go your way. And you're just like, oh my gosh, why is it like this? Why do I have to suffer through this again? I thought I'd already been through this. Um, and gosh, I know that I've talked about Carlos Whitaker so much, but, um, I'm reading this book in her wild and he struggles with anxiety or did. And I do. And, praying, he talks about how he had prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed for that to be taken from him. And it kept, and he thought he got it one time. He thought he had got it put in his place and that he had been delivered from it, but it came roaring back like 15 years later. And I know, um, I mean, I have anxiety. I have nights where I'm like, oh my gosh, what if I die while I sleep? Who's going to take care of my children? (laughs) Who's going to do that? Jim can't do this. I don't want some other woman raising my boys. You know, I have these thoughts of oh, of dread and panic, and it's terrible, and it's terrible. And my Aunt Judy, um, Judy Martin Hess, uh, the gospel star, um, she, you know, her testimony is she struggles with depression. And growing up, being a singer and being in the spotlight of being this, you know, Christian artist— this, well, you're not praying enough, or God can deliver you of that. And yeah, He can, but He might not. So looking through those things and realizing where, why you've been given it, 
And I mean, we may never understand this side of heaven, why we're given a trial or a thorn in our side. But one day, what what did you say at the beginning? We're... we're promised revelation, not necessarily yeah, explanation. God ne- yeah, God never promises explanation, but he always promises revelation to reveal himself. Yeah. So I think we'll we'll get that, and you'll see why you had these trials, why you had to be refined. But um, my favorite verse that talks about this is in First Peter, and it's marked because the first time I ever read it, and I need a new tab in my Bible, it's about to fall off. Um, the first time I came across this verse was when Bo was sick, and it's First Peter 1, 6 through um, 8. Well, six through nine. It says, In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief and all kinds of trials. These have come so that your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. It's hard to believe that that's Peter. The Peter of John and and uh, the Peter of Matthew and the Peter that's depicted. Yeah. But we get to, and, and that's why, gosh, here in Acts, you get to see this transformation of Peter. I mean, here in chapter two, he gets to deliver the first, as C.S. Lewis said, the first Christian sermon. He gets to do that. I mean, to go from where Peter was and to be that because of this fire that has now consumed him from him seeing Jesus come back to life and come back and redeem him and forgive him and says, okay, Peter, I know you love me. Feed my sheep. Go. You're the rock that this is built on. So Peter was this was this eyewitness, not only to the uh, three uh, years of Jesus' ministry watching and, you know, and, and they, during that time, they really, you know, they... They thought they knew who Jesus was. Yeah. They thought they knew, and they tipped their hand really quickly in um, in the beginning of Acts, I think, 1, 6, or 7. Um, is this a time that you're going to restore? I mean, it was all about even one, James and John's mom, they come to Jesus and say, Jesus, I, I, I got a question. You know, when your kingdom comes. Yeah. Is, you know, I could see Jesus saying, oh, I just said the kingdom of God is at hand, okay? But go on. When your kingdom comes, would you allow my sons, one to sit on your left and one to sit on your right? They were still had this yes. mindset of the kingdom of God. Look, the kingdom is not yet. The kingdom is now. We live in this king, this tension of not yet and now. And here's Peter and, uh, and the other disciples, but specifically Peter, who steps into this transition that the presence of God at the day of Pentecost came upon him and with fire, specifically for a reason. Fire is used as you bring out that presence of God in the Old Testament, the presence that God is real, that Jesus, who just, they just saw a few weeks earlier being ascended into heaven, um, said, uh, an angel come and said, hey, the one who you just saw leave will come again. This Peter 
experienced this presence of God. And then this fire, this image of fire became this refining tool that was not welcomed and yet welcomed. I mean, we don't, I don't think we ever invite that into our lives, but it became a significant change in the life of Peter that transformed him from um, uh, that, that, that this fire that sat upon each one of those believers, it now became clear without of question who Jesus was. He was the son of God. They thought maybe he was at the beginning, but now they knew. He was the Messiah, the Savior. They knew instantly. They might have sensed it earlier, but they knew for sure now. And that transformed them. Mm -hmm. That transformed them. Yeah. And it's not only fire, but this wind. And, and, and it's very intentional use of the wind because throughout Scripture, wind is used as, uh, as a bringer of life. Uh, yeah. We uh, Isaiah says that humanity only has one breath, wind in its nostril. That's all you guys, one breath. And then you have to take another one. Then yeah. you have to take another one. There's only one breath compared to God who has the essence of this breath. Mm-hmm. We see that in, in Genesis when God created the heavens of the earth. And in chapter two, verse seven, we see the uh, that that when God, the Lord God, formed man from the dust of the ground, He breathed into His nostrils the breath of life. Can you imagine the significance of that wind, that breath that is uh, is is entering into? Um, the, uh, uh, the 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 nostrils of this clay vessel. I think of 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 Frosty the Snowman <laughs> without the hat. It was just inanimate, and then the hat goes on, and she says, "Happy birthday!" You know, it's 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 this that in the very breath of God, life exists. Yeah, and you have Jesus talking about that to Nicodemus in John three. You have um, this this uh, me- manifestation of the Holy Spirit through wind at the day of Pentecost, and then you have Paul writing to Timothy that all Scripture in in Second Timothy three fifteen all Scripture is what God breathed God breathed. So you take that image back from Genesis. Read what he, uh, Jesus says to Nicodemus in, in John 3, and you put this all together. You start to see the significance of that, that, uh, that image of the Spirit coming as a mighty rushing wind. It was to cleanse us. Yes, fire was to remind us of that cleansing and to kind of maybe tear us down just a little bit to cleanse us, to get rid of the impurities. Yeah. But then right there's that rush of wind that signified and gave this presence of the life and each one who was gathered waiting yes expecting mm-hmm. devoting themselves as you said so eloquently 2 weeks ago this prayer and praise what do we do during waiting we pray and we praise why because this brings us our attention back on god yeah back on god those who were waiting there were filled 
with the Holy Spirit. The significance is uh, mind-boggling, the implications. Well, and it's not like, and then we sit here and think, well, we don't have little flames over our heads. It's not like that movie, what is it, Inside Out? Where you oh, see I just the, saw that. <laughs> where you I see just the little that. fiery guy that yes. blows up. Yes. We're I not do, that. We just watched that two nights ago. <laughs> <laughs> That's not what we look like. <laughs> we don't get these little fires that sit on our head. And we don't necessarily feel this thunderous rushing wind. But you can feel it. It may not appear to everyone else, but I was talking to someone the other day and I was like, I feel inside this whirring and this burning almost and these things that are happening. And I can attribute that to the Holy Spirit. I can say it's not heartburn it's not heart palpitations. It's not, there's nothing wrong with me. See, the anxiety comes back in. It's the Lord stirring with inside me. And and the wind you think of, you know, it's been so hot here. But when we get that cool, when we get a breeze, you can say, oh, the humidity's awful. Oh, yes, it's so hot. But God, the wind will just blow. Mm-hmm. If the wind will just blow, we can make it. And that cool breeze of what the, and I read a note about this that I cannot find it. And eventually I will. Of course, it'll be right after we hit stop recording on this um, podcast. But it likened this wind to this in the Holy Spirit to like this cool, refreshing thing, kind of like in Genesis when Adam, when they met and walked in the cool of the day, that that kind of refreshing wind, it wasn't a destructive wind. It was mighty and it was loud, but it wasn't destructive. It didn't bring destruction. It brought clarity and like this cooling. I just think of this cooling, refreshing, and then the fire lit them up. (laughs) How many times... We are willing to be a poser and we're willing to put up a wall, a barrier to become defensive, at least uh, internally inside of us to um, to hold on to what we think we need to hold on to and to not allow that rushing wind uh, and that fire to refine us and fill us with life. And what are we missing out on? What's at stake? Mm -hmm. I mean, the early believers that we read about in Acts 2, they did not become Christians on the day of Pentecost. They were already believers. They believed in Jesus. They were meeting together just a few verses earlier, the end of the, they were praising in prayer and and with God. They were studying scripture. Mm -hmm. But now, the Holy Spirit came upon them in this special way, and time out, this is available for us today. The Holy Spirit came upon them in this special way to empower them for their task. And the word used to describe this experience is filled. 14 times in the New Testament, filled with the Holy Spirit occurs. Four of them uh, happen in uh, Pentecost. The other nine references are in Acts. 
And the interesting thing is that the circumstance common in every case is that whenever Christians were filled with the Holy Spirit, it's not like they've heard this rushing wind. It's not like fire came into their room and sat upon their heads. What was common in every single moment where Christians were filled, where Acts talks about Christians being filled with the Holy Spirit, they immediately began to testify about Jesus Christ. Isn't that what Jesus promised? That when the Holy Spirit comes, you will get power. You will receive power and you will be my witnesses. Next week, we're going to talk about Peter's first sermon. They immediately, people filled with the Holy Spirit, they immediately begin to talk about Jesus. Sometimes people speak in tongues. Sometimes people have miraculous healings. Sometimes there are miracles. But every time when they're filled with the Holy Spirit, people talk and testify and witness about Jesus. And the fact that people heard them speak and testify about Jesus. Mm-hmm. And it came across as exactly what they needed. God will find a way to reach you. He will find a way to bring it to you. Whether it's, I mean, these people from everywhere in Jerusalem that were visiting the city that had moved there, they heard all of it in their own language and were able to hear the gospel that day. And the Holy Spirit comes in and answers prayers that we don't know to pray, that we don't know how to pray. This was an answer to prayer that they didn't even know. They didn't know that they needed this. You know, it's like all the different gospels and the way that they're written. It's a, something different for everybody because everybody has a, a gospel that they, you know, somebody told me the other day, oh, well, mine's Luke. You know, I really like Luke. Well, I like Matthew. And I've always been partial to John myself. But Thank you very much. <laughs> you're welcome. Um, but I mean, it's just like in C.S. Lewis. I mean, I think when I read him by quotes, I'm like, wow, that's great. If I try to read a whole book that he's written, mm, it's not going to happen. <laughs> I get lost. I get lost in it. But all of these different authors and writers and the way that all the different ways that Christ is presented is because that we all need something different, and God is willing to work it out and find what we need to hear, when we need to hear it, how we need to hear it. He's going to bring that message to us. I think uh, what's on the plate for us um, as we bring this episode to a close is this vulnerable question. Are we willing to open up? And at least take a step towards the belief and the confidence that God is still speaking today. That he's still speaking today through his Holy Spirit within us. Because that's what Paul writes is what's in us. That spirit that raised Christ from the dead is the spirit that's in us. And sometimes we need a miracle of a resurrection in our own hearts because we have been so 
We find ourselves so dead. We find ourselves so lonely. We find ourselves so despondent. And we need to open up ourselves at least and take a step towards the belief and the trust and the fact that God still speaks. Let his spirit fill you and allow his, the fire to purify you and allow his breath and the wind to revive you. I'll leave you all with this one note that Oswald Chambers wrote in My Utmost for His Highest, which is a compilation of a bunch of sermon segments and writings. And and I can't remember which date it is. I think it's in a December date. Uh, But what he said, when, when God chooses to remake you, he does not start with anything that's already there. He starts over. He starts with new, and that's that prayer of David in Psalm 51, creating me what? A new heart. That's what God did. He did not go to the dollar store and buy Play-Doh and clay when he was making uh, Adam and Eve in, in Genesis 2. He started out in nothing, and he breathed life. That's what he wants to do in us. So may it be for us today and the weeks to come. Thank you again for joining us. God bless you.